Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. John chapter 10 is where we are. We're continuing our Advent series called The I Am in the Manger. And what we have been doing, if you're just joining us or have forgotten... We've been going through those seven I am statements that we find uh, in the gospel of John. And what we are celebrating at Christmas, I love how Jared Wilson said it like this. When we are celebrating Christmas, we are celebrating the incarnation, God taking on flesh. And here's what he said. What we celebrate in the incarnation is the fullness of God in the fullness of man. We're celebrating Jesus Christ, our Messiah, who was fully God and fully man, or truly God and truly man. And he goes on to say, at Christmas we celebrate the gospel, the fullness of God, all of God for the fullness of man. All of God for all of us. Everything that we need, everything that we long for, all the promises of God, as the Bible said, are yes in Jesus Christ. John Calvin, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, writes this, So Christ, who is in heaven, has clothed himself in our flesh, that's the incarnation, so that by stretching out his brotherly hand to us, he may raise us to heaven with himself. That's what we're celebrating in in Christmas, God condescending to us, coming down to us in the flesh, that he might raise us up. Or saying it like this in terms of the I am statements that we have been talking about, Jesus is the I am, declaring the deity of Christ. That's what he did in John chapter 8. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And then throughout the gospel seven times, he says, I am the bread, I am light, I am resurrection, I am the way, truth, and the life, I am the vine, and this morning we will see two of those I am statements, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. And what we're beholding is the deity of Christ, I am, for us, exactly what we needed, the bread that we need, the life, light that we need, the resurrection that we need, the way, truth, and the life that we need, the vine that we need, and this morning the door and the shepherd that we need. This is how God is reaching down to us. The great I am is reaching down to us, becoming exactly what we need. And this morning, the door that we need and the shepherd that we need. And we'll consider these two things together, and you'll see why in a minute in John chapter 10. So if you haven't already, turn your Bibles to John chapter 10. Let me give you just a general outline of what's going on in John chapter 10. In the first six verses or so, we see generally speaking, that Jesus is is gathering a flock. And then in the other verses, we see him developing that analogy, developing that illustration of a shepherd gathering his flock and declaring that, in fact, I am. Then we get to the I am statements. I am the door. And then the third section there is I am the shepherd. But even before we get into John chapter 10, as you might imagine, we need to understand the context of what's going on in this discussion that Jesus is having, particularly with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Remember coming out of John chapter 8, Jesus declares, before Abraham was, I am. So he's given those distinct 
declarations to us that he indeed is the one who met Moses at the burning bush. He is the eternal, all-sufficient God, the one who holds all things together, the one by whom there was nothing that is created that was not created by him. The eternal word is Jesus Christ. He is fully God and fully man. Right after that, in John chapter 9, we see that Jesus and his disciples come upon a blind man. And his disciples have a question. They're, they're thinking very dogmatically, what is the reason for this man's blindness? Is it something that his parents did? Is it something that he did? Is it a result of sin? And Jesus says, no, it's so that the Lord might be glorified in that. And Jesus goes on to make these mud pies out of his own saliva, puts them on the eyes of this blind man, and this blind man is healed. And the religious folks are very perplexed by by this. Jesus has done this on the Sabbath, and now Jesus, causing the blind to see, making the blind to see, is through his work declaring once again that he is the I Am, and the religious want nothing to do with it. So, as it were, they bring this young man to court, and they bring his parents to court and ask him about what has happened. And this young man finally says, after his parents say, ask him. So they're asking his parents, like, what happened? Was this kid really blind? He said, yes, and he's old enough to answer to himself, for himself. So this young man comes in. He says, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. And they say, are you really going to follow this man? Are you really going to follow this shepherd who's claiming to be the Messiah, will you really follow? And, and listen to what the religious folks do. Now, now mind you, let's, let's pick up the illustration here, and you'll see why just in a second. These shepherds, these ones who were supposed to be shepherds, the Bible is clear that the religious leaders are supposed to be like under-shepherds. Ezekiel chapter 34, we'll talk about that in a minute. We're supposed to be shepherds of the people. Listen to what the shepherds are doing to this young man who was healed by Christ. It says, never, verse 32 of chapter 9, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he can do nothing, is what this young blind man, formerly blind man, is saying. Here's how the religious folks answered. You were born in utter sin, and you would teach them, and they cast him out. They kick him out. This one who's healed by Jesus, this one who's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, they kick him out. So Jesus heard that they had cast him out in verse 35, and he found him again and said to this formerly blind man, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. In other words, I am. And he said, this formerly blind man did, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Who do you say that I am? Yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So what's going on here? This blind man now sees, and these religious folks kick them out. And these religious folks ask Jesus, We're not blind. We see everything. And because of their lack of humility... 
because of their lack of declaring that they are blind and need someone to open their spiritual eyes, because they will not recognize their own blindness and like this formerly blind man say, yes, Lord, I believe and worship you, Jesus says, you're blind. You're supposed to be leading these sheep. But you're destroying them. You're taking advantage of them. You're kicking them out of the synagogue because they are worshiping God. You've absolutely missed it. So understand this. Against this background of the shepherds, the ones who are supposed to be shepherding the people of God, against this background of them not doing what God has called them to do, these false shepherds, Jesus begins to paint the picture of a true shepherd where he goes on to make these other statements about his deity that he is the I am and he is reaching down to his people so that they might be saved. And so against this background of all of these shepherds failing, Jesus says in verse Chapter 10, verse 1, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger will not follow, they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he is saying to them. So, one of my favorite descriptions of Jesus is Jesus as a shepherd. And so here in John chapter 10, he's picking up that imagery and understand this. When I read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, I a little bit I identify with the religious folks. It's kind of hard to understand because I go through this. Okay, is he the shepherd? Is he the door? Is he the gatekeeper? What is Jesus trying to establish? But remember, generally speaking, what he's establishing in John 10, 1 through 6 is this picture of shepherding, this picture of a sheepfold. He's setting this general scene of shepherding against the backdrop of the shepherds of Israel who are failing. Turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel is in the Old Testament. I have it marked, so I might get there quicker than you. But there is a prophecy that closely relates to this in Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel writes, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them, much like these ones kicking this man out. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts, and my sheep was scattered. So he's declaring in this prophecy that the leaders of Israel do not do their job, so the sheep are scattered. 
This is why Jesus says in Mark chapter 6, before the feeding of the 5,000, that he looks upon the people and he has compassion for them because they are sheep without a shepherd. But in this condemnation in Ezekiel chapter 34, there is a promise that the great I am is fulfilling in John chapter 10. These shepherds who are going back on their duties and they're taking advantage of the sheep and casting them out, the true shepherd has come. Here's what it says in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, here's the promise, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Do you hear what he's saying there? Are you following with me? God himself, the I am, will be the shepherd. Yes, all the, all the your leaders have failed you, but fear not sheep. I have compassion upon you. I will be your shepherd. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, When he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, in good grazing, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord." I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Therefore, says the Lord, behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep. I, the Lord, he goes on to say in verse 24, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So understand this, what Jesus is fulfilling as he puts this backdrop of this shepherding image, Jesus is saying that the shepherds of Israel have neglected the sheep. They were reckless and destructive, but God has not forgotten his flock. He sent a shepherd to rescue and care for his sheep. He's saying that he is the good shepherd who cares for God's people. So Jesus is establishing for us. That there's only one way to enter the sheepfold, and that's through the door. All of these other false prophets are trying to go... So so understand the sheep pen here, right? It's it's a bunch of stones made into this pen. They would put these briars on top. They didn't have barbed wire back in the day, so they put these briars on top. So if you saw someone trying to go over the wall into the sheep pen you would know that they were up to no good. Just as you would know if someone was trying to climb through your window instead of going through the door, you would know they were up to no good. And so he's saying these these folks, these religious people are going back on what they have been called to do. They are blind and don't claim to be blind. And so therefore they remain blind. The only rightful way is through the door. The only rightful shepherd, verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeepers open. The only rightful shepherd is the one whom God has placed his seal on. The one whom the gatekeeper has set his seal on. 
R.C. Sproul says, obviously in terms of the illustration, the gatekeeper who opens the door of the sheepfold to the shepherd represents the father who opens the gates of heaven to Christ and lets him bring his sheep into the safety of the fold. Just as Jesus said when he said, I am the bread, he says, the father has set a seal on me. Jesus is saying in John chapter 10, 1 through 6, the father, the gatekeeper has set a seal on me. I am the true shepherd and the only way into the sheepfold is through the door. They're a little confused about that. The general scene is set, but they're still wondering, so what does this mean? First, it means Jesus is gathering his flock, John 10, 1 through 6. Jesus is gathering his flock. So what does that mean? How, how does Jesus gather his flock? John 10, 7 through 10. They're a little bit confused. They did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus then brings out this illustration a little bit more, takes two elements of this illustration, the door and the shepherd, and applies them to himself. First, I am the door. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I may that they may have life and may have and, and have it abundantly. So Jesus is proclaiming in this illustration about shepherds, the door, the only rightful way into the sheep pen is through the door. And Jesus is saying, I am the door. Jesus is declaring his deity. I am. And he's declaring his exclusivity. That there is only one name by which people can be saved. That there is no other way under heaven by which men and women can be saved. There is only one way to have access to the Father. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So Jesus is making this clear declaration that there is only one way to be part of the people of God. Jesus is gathering his flock, John 10, 1 through 6. Particularly there is only one way and that's through Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking that's, that's a very narrow way. That's very narrow to declare that there is only one way. But brothers and sisters, let me submit to you this morning that I think it's astounded that there's any way. That he made a way at all for sinners to be saved. And so when we come to this statement where Jesus says, I am the door, we should come say, oh, well, that's, that's so exclusive. Yes, it is. Only through Christ. But brothers and sisters, he's made a way for sinners by faith, not by works, to come through Christ to Jesus the Lord. Come to God through Jesus the Lord. He has made a way, and it's through a door. You don't have to weasel your way in. There's no mountain to climb. There's no merit to say yes. The merit is the door to walk in by faith through grace. There's no wall to scale or merit to achieve. The call is simple. Anyone can walk right in by faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's good news. He took on flesh for us. It's through him, through the door, that Jesus is gathering his people. It's through the door that Jesus saves us. He's pulling us out of death. He's pulling us out of danger. He is bringing us into pasture of abundant life where our life is overflowing with the goodness of God in our life. This is what Christ has done for us. He's taken on flesh. And remember, the veil in the temple. How do we gain access to the Holy of Holies? The veil in the temple is split from top to bottom upon Jesus' death, declaring that we now have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. We were once enemies of God, but now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his flesh, through his death. Hebrews chapter 2, he took on flesh so that he might give his flesh for us so that those of us who are caught in slavery, those of us who are caught in sin and death might go free. Brothers and sisters, there's a way. And it's through Jesus, through his flesh, through his death, that we walk into the pasture by grace, walk into the sheep pen by grace. I am the door. If anyone enters me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If something is clear here, we'll become clear. The next point, I am the door. Starting in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. But the glory here does not belong to the sinner, but it belongs to the shepherd. Being called a sheep, as one commentator writes, is not a compliment. Sheep aren't known for their intelligence. The reason they need a shepherd is because they are dull and defenseless. They know they're blind. And their only hope is for Jesus to make them see. They'll wander off a cliff or into a gully. They have no natural means to defend themselves from predators. And this image should curb our rampant self-exaltation. On our best days, we're still helpless sheep desperately in need of a shepherd. The religious leaders didn't understand this illustration and they didn't know his voice because they were not his sheep. Brothers and sisters, we don't just need a door. We do need a door. We need a shepherd to get us there. And bring us through that door. Behold, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. This hired hand flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So how does this good shepherd, lead us into eternal life? How does this shepherd lead us through the door? This good shepherd, brothers and sisters, as we talked about a minute ago, lays down his life for his sheep. 
Now, this is not ideal for sheep, as I just read, under normal circumstances. Sheep cannot defend themselves. If they have a dead shepherd, they are fair game. There is nothing to stop the wolf from snatching them away. There's nothing to stop the wolf from destroying them. If a shepherd is dead, he cannot protect his sheep. He leaves them exposed. He can't lead them to pastures of abundant life. A dead, a dead shepherd leaves his sheep completely exposed with no hope of making it out. But, do you hear what he says? This good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep on his own authority, no one takes it from him. He lays it down on his own accord. Do you hear what it says in John chapter 10? The one who lays it down also has the authority to raise it up again. Our shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, but he does not remain dead. He raises it up again. By his own authority, the story doesn't end of the good shepherd with a dead and mangled shepherd, but with a risen shepherd standing victorious over the enemies of the sheep. Amen. That's what Christ has done for you. On his own authority, he's laid down his life and taken it up again. In the Garden of Eden, they were kicked out, no access anymore. But he has made a way for us to have access to the Father by laying down his life for his sheep and raising it back up again. This is why in Revelation chapter 7, people are worshiping around the throne. They're worshiping around the throne as the ones who have had their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. And they say, behold, there is the shepherd who is also the lamb, the shepherd who has laid down his life for us. The Bible tells us that this is why Jesus took on flesh, that he might lay down his life for us and raise it back up again. Brothers and sisters, this is not some hired out duty. He did not, he loves you so much that he did not send someone else to do it. He came himself for you. God took on flesh for you. He did not farm this out to someone else. Because in love, because in love, when we truly love someone, we don't farm out the job to someone else. When we went out to eat for our anniversary this week, had a big old 26-ounce T-bone steak, I didn't send someone else with my wife and say, "Mm, someone else can do that. Because I love her. I want to be with her. Jesus did not farm this out to someone else. He himself took on flesh. The hired hands don't own the sheep, but the Bible tells us here that Jesus owns the sheep. He owns us. 1 Peter chapter 1, we are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are his. He owns us. He does not leave his sheep, it tells us here in John chapter 10. He will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus cares for his sheep. The hired hand, when he sees danger coming, here's what it says in verse 32, cares nothing for the sheep, but Jesus cares for his sheep at the cost of his very life. 
And he even says in 1 Peter chapter 5, as he's talking about shepherds in 1 Peter chapter 5, you can go ahead and read that this afternoon. 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, cast your anxieties upon me because he cares for you. That we have a shepherd that is so good that he does not intend for us to carry the weight of our worry and anxieties. He says, I'll carry that for you too. He knows us. A hired hand doesn't know his sheep. A true shepherd, the good shepherd, he knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows what you're dealing with right now, and he loves you. He laid down his life for you. He raised it back up again. He set you free, and he's leading you to abundant life. He knows the sin you struggle with. He knows what you're dealing with right now. He knows you to the depths. But he loves you to the heights. He's pursuing other sheep, sheep that are not of the fold. Gentiles can come too. He's calling his sheep. They listen to his voice. He's leading his sheep in paths of righteousness. He's unifying his sheep, forming them into one flock, and he secures his sheep. Listen to what he says in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The thief is roaring like a lion, 1 Peter chapter 5, seeking to devour and destroy. That's what he's seeking to do, but he can't destroy you. Because your good shepherd has already been destroyed for you and has been raised up again. He cannot destroy you. My father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Nothing can snatch you out of your good shepherd's hand. You are secure in him. Brothers and sisters, what glorious grace is this? That there's a way. There's a door. And the shepherd leads us through that door, through his flesh, through his death, raising it back up again by his own authority, dying for us, defeating our enemies, defeating sin, defeating death once and for all, that we might be part of his flock. Brothers and sisters, behold the fullness of God, the great I am for you. He is the way and he is the shepherd. Brothers and sisters, behold the shepherd who is also the lamb, Revelation 7, 17. Behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the lamb given for you. Behold the shepherd leading you. Behold the one who wipes away every tears, the one who has bought you, the one who loves you. Brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. We'll lack nothing. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even when we walk through those dark, scary, and lonely places, there's nothing to fear. Our shepherd has already overcome. He's overcome death itself. Not even death itself is able to snatch you from his hand. 
So when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For our good shepherd is with us. He leads and guides us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He restores our head with oil. Our cup overflows. Certainly, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if you are in Christ, nothing will snatch you from his hand. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer.